Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops Podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. So to begin today's uh, episode of the Culture Ops Podcast, I want to welcome Mr. Chris Edson, CEO and co-founder of Second Nature. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hey, Ben. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, great. Um, so much so much energy in your voice today. I love that. Um, <laughs> Chris, uh, tell us a little bit about um, what Second Nature does, but I'm, I'm also super interested in, in a bit of that story there. I think what you guys do is pretty incredible. And uh, so let's tell our audience uh, a bit of that backstory. Yeah, so, so me and my co-founder were working in the NHS back uh, five or six years ago, and we became exposed to type 2 diabetes in quite a, a serious way. We started to see just the number of people that were struggling with it and the number of people that were trying to change their lifestyle to change their diabetes. Uh, and we thought, why don't we quit our day jobs to do something about it? Um, it's a constant challenge to live a healthy lifestyle. I'm sure everybody in the world knows that. There's a never-ending stream of temptations and it, it naturally um, leads to bad results and quitting. So if, if you could, if you had all the money in the world, what you probably end up doing is you probably hire a full team of support for yourself. You probably hire a nutritionist, a personal trainer, maybe a therapist, a chef. Um, but obviously that would just be too expensive for the majority of people. So what we do at Second Nature is we try and give people that level of support wherever they are at a much lower price. So it's all about giving people the most effective and affordable way to change their habits. So we do all kinds of work in the NHS with type 2 diabetes. And we also just, we sell the program to anyone that wants to, to sign up on our website too. So yeah, that's what we do in a nutshell. Amazing. Um, so cool to be able to do something that feels like it's genuinely solving a kind of real world problem um i bet i bet you sleep well at night um yeah some days when the stresses of um things like probation aren't keeping me up yeah it's it's incredibly rewarding um that's the only way i can say it really when you when you hear the stories of how you've actually genuinely changed people's lives and they've reversed their diabetes and they think this is is life-changing um, it's it's a bit surreal, right? It's like, well, you you did the thing that you were set out to do. When um, when me and my co-founder quit our day jobs, we had a, a vision that we would build a product that would really genuinely help people, and it it actually works. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, so you you mentioned their probations, and that's exactly what we're going to kind of talk about today. Um, you and I have both been through our fair share of hiring challenges. Uh, both amazing hires, but also hires that just haven't worked out. And so we thought we'd explore probation periods in a bit of detail together. And I think specifically the hardest part of that, which is kind of working out when it's not right. And sometimes it's really, really obvious. Sometimes it's not. Um, but I know this is something that you've been through uh, recently. So walk us through your most recent experience of kind of navigating probation periods at Second Nature. Yeah, well, maybe it would be helpful a bit to also talk about where we started, right? And some of the learnings that we took from way back when. Um, yeah, amazing. Let's do that. So I think our, our very first experience with this is that we, um, back when we were four or five people, we we hired someone into a design role. 
And me and my co-founder, Mike, we had no idea what we were doing at all. Um, so we hired this person, you know, didn't really set them expectations. Um, we just thought they came across great in interview. And we knew pretty much from week one that we'd made a mistake. I think one of the, um, when they spent most of the day watching League of Legends videos on YouTube, we we knew that mm. probably there wasn't, something wasn't quite right there. But, you know, we had no idea how to give that person feedback. Again, expectations weren't really set. Uh and we let that probation run to the end, which was a three-month process. Uh, so we got into that, that meeting and we sat down with the candidate and they were completely blindsided. Like, why? Where, was all, where did all this feedback come from? And I caveat it with saying this is a good four years ago now. Um, and one thing they said that st- stuck with me is um, I didn't even know that there was a probation. Right? And I think that was like, the largest mistake that we've made. We, we hadn't even laid out to that person that there was a probationary period. We'd almost tried to hide it away. You know, it was almost a thing in the employment contract that we didn't really want them acknowledging the fact that, oh yeah, well, there's a probation. It means we can, we can let people go really easily if, if it's not working out, which is not really what a probation is for. And it's not even what a probationary period is for in the eyes of the law. Um, so that was our first experience. We learned that you probably need to um, tell someone that, they have a probationary period, and then go ahead. You can ask something. No, I was going to say I think it's really, I think it's really interesting that that you say that uh, because often our our kind of first reaction is to avoid negative things. As as human beings, we kind of run away from challenging situations, negative ideas, negative concepts. Most of the time, we'd rather play in a space that feels really comfortable. Yet sometimes we do people a disservice by not embracing those ideas. And so, you know, what a great place to start, which is, you know, don't ignore the probation period. It's it's a very real thing and it's a very important thing, not just for you as a business, but, but also for the employee, also for the team member, so that they can get that live feedback, that clear feedback on how they can improve and how they can develop. Um, and really le- leading into that, I think is is key. So I'm I'm glad you hi- you highlighted that straight off the bat. Don't 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 you know brush this under the carpet. Embrace it and lean into the probation period. Yeah, well, and, and something I think about a lot is what what's fair on the person and what will help them be the most successful. And and I try and use that to frame a lot of the conversations that I'll have that may be difficult. Which is this is because we want you to be successful in the role. So when we try and make probationary periods explicit to someone, as you say, it's a two-way street. This is for them to work out if the company is right for them. Um, But also you need to to frame it that this is because you want them to be successful in their role. And this feels like the fairest way to go about it, rather than, as you say, trying to sweep it under the carpet and hide it away. I think think as founders, we tend to... um, I think in my early days of being a co-founder, I lent away from transparency and openness. And I think that's mm. in all kinds of different ways, even about fundraising and cash flow worries and all of those things, probationary periods. And I've gone completely the other way now. Now I'm now I'm an open book about everything. It's terrifying. Yeah. Well, you realize the more you kind of put stuff out there, the more context everyone has. Yeah. Um, and... And 
yeah, and, and the easier conversations become, right? And the faster you can move as an organization. Uh, okay, so let's just um, kind of dial back in on where we were, which was, uh, you know, you were talking about, you know, acknowledging the probation period. And that was kind of, you know, one of your reflections from looking back at, um, you know, the time that you and Mike, uh, at the very beginning of Second Nature. Yeah, so... so- we know a lot just from that one period, and I really apologise to that person that um, we didn't give them uh, a fair process, and we should have done a lot better at that. But we learned a huge amount. And since then, we've had maybe three or four people that we have unfortunately had to terminate um, at their probation, and each each time we've learned something a bit a bit different. Um, I, I think the the hardest time and I guess this is the framing of this podcast is how do you work out when it's not right so the the tension I think is between what is fairest to the person when you instinctively know that it won't work out because it's it's really important that you give someone um, a fair chance at doing well and a fair chance to pass their probation at the same time sometimes as I'm sure you have felt Ben you know pretty instinctively that you got it wrong and I think that's the tension right is is how do you know that your um that your instincts are correct or not how do you know that you're not just living with your your biases and that actually this is your problem not theirs um and I, I think that's the thing that I, I struggle with the most um and that I've been refining my thinking on as much as possible yeah it's, it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a balance right of you know, leaning into supporting someone and developing someone and giving them that clear, clear feedback while also trying to make quick decisions, right? You know, I think for everyone involved, if a hire is really clearly wrong, what you want to do is make clear, concise uh, decisions, uh, you know, about their future of the business, both for you, both for them, but also the team around them, right? We don't often talk about, you know, the implications of getting a hire wrong in relation to the people that they have to work with on a daily basis, right? And so I always think you owe it to those people to make um, quick decisions. And, you know, I guess what you're alluding to here is there kind of is no science, right? It, it's a balance. No. And uh, if anything, it's more art than science. Yeah, absolutely. There really isn't. Uh, and I think it's often the thing that when we're training new managers in the business, that is the problem they struggle with the most is, well, how can I be sure? I I think that's the thing that managers will so often bring up with me is, but I'm not, I'm not really sure how my instincts right on this, because obviously the repercussions are someone's livelihood. You know, the stakes are incredibly high. And when you're, when you're new to this, how do you know if, if you're not the problem, right? Maybe you haven't been managing that many people and, and you don't have a, a great, um, you, you haven't honed your senses yet for what someone amazing looks like on your team. So, so trying to help out our team as much as possible with that. I, th- I think some of the, go ahead. No, do you think that those instincts that you talk about, do you think that they improve over time? You know, is it, is it, are these are these learnt learnt behaviours and and learnt instincts that the more it becomes kind of pattern recognition, right? The more we see people in in the context of our businesses, the more we develop this ability to spot when it fits and and when it and when it's not right. You see, I, I, I'm not sure. I think 
you get better at working out what you need to do when it's not right. But there is the danger that you you end up actually just hiring against your biases stronger and stronger. Um, so I, I think that's why it's really important that you are not making these decisions in a vacuum just by yourself. And, and why if you ever need to make a decision like this, you need to get the opinion of your co-founder, the rest of your leadership team, even other people that might be working with that person. Um, we, we all have our biases. And as you say, this is an art, not a science. Um, and as much as we can try and make it as science as possible, and we can try and lay out clear expectations for what great looks like in a role and assess someone against that, sometimes it's just not that clear cut. And, and I think yeah, maybe your instincts do get better over time, but there's always a risk that you're you're ending up just reinforcing your own biases. So maybe let's go there, right? So, you know, you've got to work out if it's right um, or if it's wrong. What are the data points? What are the what's the process that you personally go through, or the the process that you've developed? Um, you know, be that kind of concrete process or just a habitual way of going through these 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 uh, these flows of determining if someone fits correctly within the organization. You know, you mentioned talking to your your co-founder Mike. You know, what are the other places that you go to, the people that you speak to, to work out uh, and make these decisions? Yeah, I think um, the the first thing is you have to be crystal clear when you hire that person what does amazing look like in this role and it needs to be written up in in some way um, and the way that I like to think about that is less in terms of tasks so say you were laying out expectations for someone's probation and you, and you were sitting down with them and saying this is what you need to do to pass probation and we've learned that you need to do that on day one day one of their starting date you sit down with them and you say you lay out the expectations what what bad would look like with that would be a series of tasks. We want to make sure that you have, um, I don't know, for an engineer, it might be, we want to make sure you've launched new service software and we want to make sure you... Tasks are bad. Instead, I would think about um, what behaviours look amazing in this role. Uh, and there might be a few objectives in there as well, as long as you're not specifying how they get there. Um, so that's the first thing. So you both have a mutually agreed plan and you have to do that together, right? This is not you emailing them saying, this is what you need to do. It's a bit more of a conversation because maybe they actually have a completely different lens on this whole situation. That's the first thing. And, and then you say, where else are you gathering data points from? I think as soon as you start to have concerns, um, the, the data points that I go to or the people that I go to, the first thing is my co-founder. The second is my exec coach. So I work with a really amazing CEO coach. The next would be my leadership team in the business. And then if necessary, and this is a much more of a, a judgment call, it would be other people working with that candidate. And that is an incredibly sensitive thing to do. And it needs to be handled on a case-by-case -case basis. There's no real structure for that because, because obviously you, you want to avoid any um, gossip or, um, you know, it's, it's just a risky territory to get into, but they can be really, really valuable data points because as we both know, it's, it, it'll be obvious to the team. If you have concerns about this person, I can almost guarantee that other people on that team will have noticed them as well. They'll just probably won't have felt comfortable talking about them to you. 
So, so you're sitting there going, "Hey, I think this is wrong. I'm going to go and going to go gather data, and you know, um, th- there are kind of four places that, that that you're going to do that: your co-founder, your coach, your leadership team, and, and potentially other people that that person might be interacting with. And you're going to compare that information with what you set out as, you know, we would call this, you know, in very simple terms a role description, a job description, and, and you've kind of elevated that and taken it to another level and you're calling it, you know, what, what does amazing look like in this role? And that's because, you know, you guys are clearly looking for, you're not looking for good, you're not looking for average, you're looking for um, people that can come in and deliver at a really high level. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the kind of ambition that, that, that you operate at. Once you've got that data and you've compared it, with what you wanted uh, success to look like, is it always then clear if it's going well or if it's going badly? So most of the time, it's instincts, right? Where you where you just have a gut feel that I don't think something's working working out right. And then I think going back to those expectations that you made. So there are two things. One is going back to the expectations, and one thing is looking back at your cultural expectations for people in the business. And I think it's important that you have worked that out. You have a clear set of behaviors that you see as these are the high performing behaviors in the business, or these are our company values or whatever it is. So you have those two two things, the role expectations and your company values, and then read through them and, and maybe try and quantify a bit of where you have this instinct that something isn't working working out right. But where is it within those two things? Is it that um, you know, you have a behavior of um, uh, using data to make decisions and you believe that actually this person is using their biases more often, right? And it just allows you to be a bit clearer on where the gap is. And then that, that then informs the feedback. So that's the next stage, right, is, is speaking to that person about um, where maybe the gap is. And how do you judge whether actually this is feedback that someone can work on or it's feedback that they can't work on? Yeah, that's, that's such a good question. Uh, I, I think about it it's a slightly, in a slightly different way, which is um, because if someone can't work on, on that, maybe it's not going to work out. And maybe that's okay for the role. Maybe this is just a personality difference between the two of you. Um, what I instead like to think about is do you still have belief that this person can pass probation? It's kind of the same thing, right? Which is, do you believe that someone can make the change? It's a similar kind of thing, which is, do you believe that this person can pass probation? And that is often the question that you need to answer about whether or not you're going to end it early or not. Because as soon as you have lost any belief that this person can pass probation, then you probably need to move forward to ending it. Um, that's that's how I would maybe make the decision between giving the feedback and giving them a chance to improve. And if you do that, you, you have to believe that this is feedback that they can actually improve on versus I, I, I have no belief that this person can pass probation. And then, and then the question, the, if you're unsure about that, a lot of the process is just trying to get to certainty on that question. Mm. 
right? How do you get to yeah. certainty on your belief of passing probation? And sometimes maybe you have lost faith in your in that person's ability to pass probation. And then the fairest thing to do for both parties, for you, for your team, and for that person, it is to end it quickly. Um, and I, I guess the other thing to say on that is just being aware of our own biases as much as possible. Because I, I think our brains do this thing where... Once we have decided that something isn't going to work out, then that it, it's really difficult for that person to come back. Um, our brains essentially then discount all future things that that person does, right? So even if they do something great, then um, we're not likely to recognize that. Whereas if they do something bad, then all you're doing in your brain is saying, well, yeah, you know what? I, I knew this person was, wasn't going to work out. So remaining objective when assessing that person is really important and that's why um using your support network uh to help make that decision is really important we've all got biases right yeah Just being absolutely aware. and and one of the things that i i will often say to the team is um you have to believe and want it's not it's you can't have one but not the other they have to be together so you have to have the appropriate data points that you believe that they can make a change and they can deal with that feedback that they've been given. But you also have to really want them to make a change. Sure. Because, uh, I, you know, I believe that development is always two-way, right? Um, I don't just give you a bunch of feedback and let you sit there and, uh, you know, make adaptions to how you work yourself. It requires me to input. It requires me to say, hey, yeah, I saw you do that. That worked really well. Let's do more of that. It requires uh, you to come to me and ask me questions about things. Hey, I'm trying to I'm trying to work on that feedback you gave me. How did this look? So it's not just, yes, do I believe Chris can make that change that we need to see, him, see in him? It's also, do I want to? Do I want to invest my time in... Uh, going on that journey uh, with Chris, do you um, will you ever extend probation periods? Yeah, we've we've done it twice, I think, um, and in both times, I believe we made a mistake in our process through extending probation. I think it's it's a tool that you that you, you can use, and you should if you ever use it, you've probably messed up. Because um, what tends to happen, and I think what happens as well with newer managers who are now managing people on probation for the first time, is they'll get to two months in and they'll say, oh, I think I maybe have concerns about this person. And then by that point on, it is, it's too late, right? You're two months into the probation. That means that, okay, you've maybe got, if from then you move quickly, You've maybe got a week to sit down with that person and give them feedback. And then what? You're giving them three weeks to make changes and then it's going to be the end of their probation. So that that's often when it's happened with us whereby concerns have been raised late in someone's probation and we're then having to talk about extending it. And it's just rubbish on the person, right? It's because you have to sit down with that person and say, look, we don't have the data points that we need to pass your probation. We should have moved earlier on this, but we didn't. So when we have had to do that, I've, I've always done an audit of our uh, processes. To the, the one time where we used it well, actually, one of the times we used it badly, one of the times we used it well. Uh, the time where we used it well 
we extended the probation of the person, but then we actually ended up pass. They actually made incredible changes based on the feedback that we gave them, and we ended up actually passing their probation at the three month period anyway. And I, that felt like a good way of doing things. It was almost like a fallback. Like we were quite transparent, saying we don't think we have the data that we need, and there were some other circumstances there that meant why we hadn't got that data. Um, so we extended it and then actually ended up passing it early. Nice. Yeah, I think that's one of the fun misconceptions, which is that people think you have to always wait to the end of the period. Yes. Um, you absolutely don't need to, right? You can pass someone on their probation at kind of any point. And actually, I often think that getting ahead of it and, yeah, extending if you think you're going to need some more time and then passing as soon as you're sure, I think is a really nice is a really nice thing to do. You know, you take the same approach to passing someone as you do for terminating someone's probation or bringing someone's probation to, to an end, which is as soon as you're sure you should go and do it because you want to remove, remove that uncertainty. I think, you know, we as humans, we like certainty. We like to know what's going on. There is always an ingrained level of anxiety um, that hangs around when someone is in their probation period, right? Even if they believe that they're amazing at the job, they can never be 100% sure, right? It's a new company. They don't know how people um, go about making these kinds of decisions. Maybe they don't understand the financial footing uh, of the scenario. So getting to a decision we've looked at, but then making that decision as quickly as you possibly can is just so important for the candidate, for the individual. It's so important for for the business and for the team um, and trying to get to that decision point as quickly as possible. Yeah, we've, we found that um, really, really helps. It's the whole uh, thinking fast and slow thing, right? Hmm. Think slow me, and then act fast. Yeah, I agree. T- tell me how, um, how, how once you've gotten to that decision, you've communicated it both to the individual, but also to the team and the company. You know, the name of this podcast is the Culture Ops Podcast. And um, the reason we, we call it that is we're trying to think about culture as a strategic lever that we can use in our businesses to... Uh, attract the best talent, retain amazing people and drive and drive performance. And so how we do these things, how we communicate these decisions that we've just walked through does have an impact on our culture and therefore our team and therefore what the business goes and goes and does. Yeah. So, well, that very first example that I talked about with that candidate that we didn't pass their probation we learned so much. I don't think people really consider what it takes to let someone go in the business. There are so many things to consider. Not only the repercussions that it has on the rest of the team, but logistics like their laptop, how you clear their desk, all of these things. So we learned some some good best practices. So um, making sure that you do it at the end of the day, we found is quite fair on the person. It means that when they're going to have to go back to their desk to clear up their things, the office is probably a bit more empty. Uh, you know, we had this, um, oh, the very first person that we let go, They that it was in the middle of the day, they then had to walk back to their desk and they had to say goodbye to everyone um, and explain that they'd just been let go. It was awful. <laughs> so mm. we learned, don't do that. You want to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, you want to avoid that. So the end of the day works. Uh, giving someone an offer that, hey, if you want us to uh, pack up your desk and 
send things to you. We're more than happy to do that. Um, you need to be really careful with allowing them to communicate them leaving to the rest of the team. And I think this is very, very dependent um, on who that person is and how long they've been with you and all of those kinds of things and whether or not this is a gross misconduct case or not. But in general, if someone's being let go on probation, we we won't actually allow them to um, to send a message to the team because the risk levels are really high, especially if they're unhappy about it, that they might um, end up saying something, I don't know, horrible to the whole team. So we, we try and restrict that and we'll explain it to them as well. Uh, then there are logistics that it's often helpful to have um, it's helpful to have at least two people in that meeting. So uh, yourself and another representing the business, ideally someone from your HR, if you have a department in HR or someone that can represent that. And then also having someone on standby to just um, do things like turn off their email account immediately, remove them from Slack, if you use Slack, that kind of thing. Then in terms of communicating to the rest of the team, that's so difficult. Um, when you're a smaller team, I, I made sure that the first time I let someone go to sit down with every person on the team one-on-one um, -on -one and explain what had just happened. And it's that's especially important if you have other people on the team that are still in their probation. Because if you're still on your probation and you have seen someone be let go on probation, you're immediately terrified, mm. right? Um, because may, your your job security, maybe you thought you were flying through probation, and then suddenly you've just seen, oh, someone's just been let go. Uh, so sitting down with them, and if you do have concerns about them, you need to make those concerns clear to them right then. And if you don't, you maybe need to reassure them that you have no concerns. Uh, what we've done in the past is actually pass people's probations early if mm. we've let someone else go um if you're certain that that person will pass probation it would just give a bit of certainty that look we think you're doing amazing and as a result we're going to pass your probation um i think discussing it in all hands so discussing it with your team at large um it is helpful for transparency but the giving some respect to that candidate because people always want to know what went on every time we've let someone go we, we have a big culture of transparency at Second Nature. That means that everyone always asks questions like, well, what like what went wrong? Why, why didn't they pass probation? Specifically, what did they do wrong? And I think what we've learned is that you have to be respectful of that candidate and explain to your team, look, it wouldn't be fair on them to explain exactly why it didn't work out. All we can say is that it was for performance reasons. Um, it was purely professional. I don't know if you have a, a different view on that. We, we've, we've lent towards trying to respect the candidate rather than being explicit about, well, we felt like, you know, they didn't align to this company value or something like that. Yeah, I think it's really difficult. It's really difficult. I think, yeah, it depends on the scenario that's played out. I think more often than not, I am going to err on the side of more information than less. Um, just because I, yeah, I like to think that we're all adults at the end of the day. And, you know, this is the harsh reality of running a business. Sometimes yeah. things work out, sometimes they don't. And I like to try and expose people 
um, to that as much as possible. But, you know, I like what you say in terms of, you know, when you're early on and it's small and these things have a big impact, you know, walking everyone through the decision, you know, one-on-one and making those feel, you know, making people feel safe who are also on their probation, I think, I think is important. Is there anything that you've learned about yourself as a CEO having to go through some of these decisions? My um, my biggest reflection is at what cost do you want to make a successful business? You know, I had um, I had a venture capitalist tell me once um, they they'd invested in Revolut, and I, they they were this this VC. They were they took us out for dinner, and they were they were working out whether or not they were going to invest in us. And this this partner of this VC firm, he'd invested in Revolut in his early days. And he said to me, you know what, Chris, uh, you need to be more like the Revolut CEO. If you want to get far in this, you're going to have to be 10 times as ruthless. And I, oh, I forget the Revolut CEO's name, but he's... He's like Nikolai or something? Nikolai, yeah, something like that. He's a, a, not particularly well known for building a great culture uh, at Revolut, mm. as much has been written out online. Um, and I, th- I thought that was really interesting um, and it helped inform the kind of leader that I wanted to be. So when I've been in those conversations with people where they are in floods of tears um, because you're letting them go and you are changing their career and their destiny, the reflection that I always have is um, I want to make this a hugely successful business, but at what cost? Um, and then my reflection tends to be, well, did we do a fair process here? Uh, did we give them a chance to succeed? Um, did we mess up in any way? Uh, and that actually I wanted to lead with compassion um, rather than competence, which is probably mm. the opposite of Nikolai at Revolut. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's so um, That's so lovely. And, uh, I, you know, I, I could not agree more, right? I think all of us want to build successful businesses but I'm not prepared to sacrifice other people's confidence, how they feel about themselves um, for the sake of, for the sake of doing that. Right. I'm going to act like a, a good empathetic and caring, caring human being. And I believe that if you have an infinite view of the world and you believe that, you know, the business that you're building today might be around for a while and the problem that you're trying to solve isn't going to be solved overnight. And in fact, you know, you might go on and do other businesses that, you know, we, we will be, will be scored, will be reviewed based on how we acted and behaved as people. Yes. Um, more than anything. Right. Um, and so, you know, in, in some of those hardest situations, behaving like a good person, behaving like an empathetic person, feels like the right thing to do. It does. Uh, the counterpoint to that is that I think a lot of people would look at Elon Musk's way of working. You know, he's, he's almost... Um, his, his way of working, I think, has been revered as a CEO and especially his dealing of people, whereas... He's gone on to accomplish incredible things, but at what cost to people, right? He's 
hired and fired uh, more people in the last five years than most CEOs could hope to do in a lifetime. Um, mm. And he's been completely slated for it, but he has gone on to accomplish great things. But th- that also informs that I don't want to be that kind of leader. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm okay with that. But you, you probably have to make that decision. And all of that stuff fills into your culture as a, as a business, right? It's... Oh, my God. I, I, and I actually also believe that you're only capable of being the type of leader that is authentic to who you are. You know, even yes. if you wanted to be like Elon or Nikolai, shout out to Nikolai if he's listening. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to be like either of them, you wouldn't be able to be. No. You can only be the CEO that is authentic to who Chris is, right? Yeah, absolutely. To, to kind of round things off, I just want to end um, and speak to those listening who maybe are thinking about their team and maybe thinking about a couple of people they've got on probation and are thinking, mm, maybe, you know, maybe it's not working out in a few places. Maybe maybe they've got some concerns. Maybe they can feel, um, you know, their gut tingling as they've listened to us uh, today. What are the kind of two or three bits of advice that you would give them here and now, what are the things that they should immediately go and do? I think lean into the pain, right? Don't shy away from from the pain. It's the fairest thing to do for them and it's the fairest thing to do for your business. It is difficult to lay out clear expectations for people. It is difficult to sit them down and explain that they are not hitting the mark, but it's also the right thing to do. So take responsibility step up to the plate, lean into the pain. Should put that on so a clear. Yeah, we should do. I love that. <sighs> Take responsibility, step up to the plate, lean into the pain. And with that, uh, we will bring today's episode uh, to a close. And, and I have to start by saying a big thank you to Chris for joining us today. Thanks so much, Chris. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Yeah, it was great. Really insightful. And um, I always enjoy our conversations. I've got to thank uh, Mel, our illustrious producer behind the glass uh, for keeping us rolling and keeping this show on track. To all of you listening along at home, wherever you are, we appreciate you. Uh, Remember, if you've got issues you'd like us to discuss, please do drop us a line. I'm at Gately on Twitter and we're at Join Charlie. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. I've been your host, Ben Branson-Gately. And this has been the Culture Ops Podcast. Mm-hmm.